prediction. By this time next week, we will see an extraordinary and sudden number of brand new Red Sox or St. Louis Cardinal hats. And if there's one thing that Yankees fans and Red Sox fans can agree on, it's how we despise bandwagon jumpers, right? Now, it's not just baseball. Uh, look what I found when I Googled bandwagon jumpers. Uh, this family at an NFL game swapping jerseys. Um, I don't want to be too quick to judge anybody, but anytime a father yells, quick, put the other team's jersey on, I have to question that person's parenting. I also found uh, this slide uh, on the definition of bandwagon fan, uh, because sticking with the same team through hard time takes guts. Bandwagon jumpers, they are the worst types of fans. They just start coming out of nowhere and they just start celebrating. But they weren't there during the hard times or the frustrating times or the times when you were the one only defending your team by yourself, fighting and praying for your team, and they were still losing. Bandwagon jumpers, they only know the sounds of cheers. They only know the, the, the look of smiles, the feel of parades, shiny trophies, and victories. And it's not just sporting events either that have bandwagon jumpers. There's bandwa bandwagon jumpers around politics, around musicians and bands, uh, even shows like uh, American Idol and The Voice have bandwagon jumpers or with a television series that it, as soon as the television series announced that they're heading into their last season, all of a sudden there's all these fans from a show that emerge and they say things on Facebook like, I don't know what I'm going to do now with my Tuesday nights or Thursday nights. And it's usually a show that you've never heard of, right? They are the bandwagon, the bandwagon jumpers. Blink and you'll miss them. But man, are they annoying while they're here. I really believe if Jesus were here today, he would tell us, love your enemy, but feel free to kick in the shins any bandwagon jumper that you come across. Well, there's bandwagon jumpers in the church as well. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about that in Acts chapter 19. So if you've been coming to Grace for a little while this fall, uh, you know that we've been in the book of Acts and that we've been talking about what it means to live on mission and what that means particularly for us as Christ followers. So at this point in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, and if you've been reading uh, along for, during the 30-day challenge, uh, you would have read this chapter, uh, actually last Sunday. Um, and as much as I want to encourage scripture reading, uh, please do not use our 30-day challenge as yet another act of legalism. Um, so feel free to catch up, feel free to jump around, um, just, just be in scripture. That, that, that's the whole point of what we're trying to do. But Paul has been trying to, uh, Paul has been traveling all around uh, uh, Asia Minor, and he's been to Corinth, uh, and now he's starting his third missionary journey, uh, and he's going to uh, spend some time in, in, in the city of Ephesus. So we start with verse 1 in chapter 19, and it starts with, while Apollos was still at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, it's really interesting to note Paul's central question to the disciples here. And it is, did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mean, of all the questions that, that he could have spent the most amount of time on, did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really the most important one that he has. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be a Christian. Notice that it's not about a secret handshake. It's not about a particular set of data. It's not about using the right type of words. And when he asked them, did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They don't even know what he's talking about. We, we, we didn't even know there was one. We just started believing in Jesus. We thought that would be enough. That's good, but it's not enough, he says. And that tells Paul something. It actually tells Paul a few things. These Jewish young men may be believing in Jesus, but they were not true followers of the way. He also knew that they weren't in community uh, and they were not attending a, a local you know, church gathering, nor were they going to the synagogue. Had they were, if they were going to the synagogue, they would have bumped into his friends Apollos and, uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila, just like the way that Apollos bumped into Priscilla and Aquila. And just like how Apollos did not know much about the Holy Spirit, Priscilla and Aquila filled him in. So these guys are in need of Christian community. They need a Christian gathering. They need church. And fortunately, Paul bumps into them. But before they can experience the beauty and the life-giving nature of church, they first need to experience the presence of God. Because again, Christianity is not, is not about accepting a bunch of facts or saying certain types of prayers or using a particular type of Christianese language. Christianity is about entering into a relationship with God through Jesus and upon which then that is when we receive the Holy Spirit. Today, we are at risk of facing a similar misunderstanding. There are a number of people who say that they're really into Jesus, or they call themselves Christian, or they go to church, and they've been going to church for years, but they don't really know what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. And they find themselves very similar to these young men in the city of Ephesus. How do you know? How would I know? That's a tricky question, isn't it? And we can have like a really long and complicated answer, and ultimately, we would decide that it's only up to God to decide who is filled with the Spirit. But it's one of those things that we should pause and explore for ourselves and, and not, consider, not, not think about the other person. Today's church, for sure, though, needs to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it gets a little tricky. It's mysterious. It's a little vague. You know, the, the idea of spirit is not very tangible. At least Jesus, we, ha we un understand the idea of personhood. But with the spirit, it's difficult. So for tonight's purpose, let's su summarize. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and, what, and we're talking about the presence and the power of God. Third person of the Trinity, presence and power of God. So Paul prays for these young men. He baptizes them. They receive the Spirit, and it is evidenced by the gift of tongues and prophesying, as this is a very common theme in the book of Acts. Now, when it comes to speaking in tongues, things get tricky there, too. And we have to be very careful to avoid the extremes. We can't just simply say, that just doesn't happen anymore today. In doing so, we risk blaspheming, and we, and we put God in a box when we speak for him. 
The other danger is to copy and paste what God did in a particular context and make it apply in a different context. And we, can't, we have to be careful about that too. So the sign gifts may not be a common thread in my life or in the life of, of many evangelical Christians in North America, but it is vibrant in the global church, and it is vibrant near and far. And we have to be very grateful anytime there is an authentic expression of the power of God displayed in this world. That is a gift of the Spirit. I found this great line uh, when talking about the Holy Spirit by Steve Childers. God loves to pour out his spirit with power on those who dare to align radically their purposes with his. So here, Luke is telling us something very powerful happens when people receive the gift of the spirit. So continuing on to verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing uh, persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall hall of of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. As usual, Paul enters into the synagogue and when he arrives into a new town and he passionately proclaims the kingdom and the good news of Jesus, he debates with the religious authorities and as usual, they don't agree, they get mad, they chase him out, He leaves with a couple of new converts and new followers, and he ends up preaching his message to the Gentiles. Now, he ends up getting this really great opportunity here in Ephesus, where he gets to kind of, they give him a lecture hall, uh, and he gets to daily speak at this lecture hall all afternoon for about two years, and he's in Ephesus for about three years. And Ephesus is one of the most important cities of the ancient world. Paul is thrilled to have this. I mean, this is probably one of Paul's favorite moments, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this in, 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 in a short while. But Ephesus is a really, really important city. It's a port city. It's on the trade route, and it houses one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world, and that is the Temple of Artemis. And we've talked about that quite a bit last year uh, in our series on Ephesians and a little bit this year. But in case you're new... Artemis Artemis was a goddess of fertility and prosperity. So residents, local people of Ephesus, and travelers would come, and they would pay homage to Artemis before big life moments, big life decisions. And in addition to whatever sincere beliefs that they may have had about that, there was also a bit of shady stuff going on. There was some sorcery, a lot of superstition, some magic. There was corruption, temple prostitution, and the priests were women. Uh, So it, it, it got a little... It got a little unusual, to to, to say it frankly. Now, the city of of Ephesus valued religion, and they valued belief, and they valued magic. Not money and debauchery, although there was a good bit of that. Uh, But So you should think of it in terms of like like New Orleans or Salem, Massachusetts, more than, you know, Vegas or Miami or Lexington. So with me? Now, Paul is doing some really, really amazing things And people are starting to take notice. I mean, again, he's preaching every afternoon in this hall. 
And God is performing many incredible miracles through him. I mean, people are bringing sick people and demon-possessed people to him. They're bringing like handkerchiefs and aprons just so he would touch it so they can bring it back to other people and when they, receive, and when they touch that handkerchief, they're healed or delivered. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And people are starting to take notice. Not just people who are, who are being transformed by the, by the Holy Spirit, but also rivals are starting to take notice, including people who used to be people in charge, people who used to have power, people who used to have authority. And so we read in verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish, high priest, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Man, this is an unusual story. I mean, where do these guys come from? You know, where were they in the beginning of all this? Like you know, when Paul went to the synagogue and was you know, debating the Jews there, like why don't, why don't they enter into the story there? And so unless Luke is, you know, mean or something like that, the answer is they probably weren't there. They're probably kind of like lurking around. We're not even really sure if they are really priests in the, in the classic Jewish sense. Uh, they may have kind of developed kind of like this hybrid or, or this mixed economy of Jewish and pagan uh, magic, ritual, and, and superstition. And is it probably a family business? I mean, there's this guy, Skiva. Um, and he's got seven sons, and apparently business is good because all, all seven of them are, 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 are doing this. Now, these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of just lurking. They're trying to figure out what is, what is Paul actually doing? And this is a very similar story to Simon the Great um, back, back in uh, Acts chapter 8. Remember Simon the Great, the sorcerer? Uh, he's the one who, he's, he's watching Peter, and he's like, man, this Christian message is amazing. And he becomes a Christian. He even gets baptized by Peter. And as Peter is casting out demons, performing many, many miracles, and people are just coming to Peter, he wants in on that too. And he makes this really bad mistake. He says to Peter, hey, listen, I will pay you if you teach me and give me this Holy Spirit too. That way I can be a part of this as well. And Peter says, may you and your money perish. You will have no, no part of this. He wanted the Holy Spirit for his agenda. He wasn't trying to join the, what God was trying to do there uh, in, in Samaria. Now, we don't know much about the seven sons of Sceva here, except a few things. One, they have a terrible name, Sceva. I mean, like, does anyone want that? Sceva. <laughs> and apparently none of them can fight. I don't know how you grow up in a, in a house full of seven brothers and not one of you can fight, but apparently they, they, uh, they, they were very devoted to prayer. I don't know. But one brother, you know, they are noticing what is going on, and Paul has all this authority and all this attention, and they want in. And, like, how do they get in on this mess? I don't exactly know, but I like to speculate. I imagine they're kind of sitting around at their house, and, they, and one brother says, hey, everyone is talking about Paul and, and all his miracles, and the other brother kind of jumps in, yeah, and no one is listening to us anymore. And then a third brother says, you know, we should totally heal people too and cast out demons. We should totally do that. And then the fourth brother, um, the middle child that no one listens to, says, 
guys, you know, we shouldn't do this at all. We should just steer clear of this. This is not our thing. No, no. The other brother says, yo, guys, I actually saw how Paul did it. And the other guy says, yeah, I have handkerchiefs, a whole bunch of them. We can totally do this. And then the last brother says, great, let's head over to the demon-possessed guy's house. Everyone will remember this for thousands of years. Now, Luke's words of these priests to heal the demon-possessed man, you know, is unnecessarily detailed. The priests are in over their heads, and Luke tells the demon-possessed, he tells that the demon-possessed man beats the pants off the priests literally. I mean, Luke tells us they were bleeding and they ran out naked, which is somewhere in between too much information and wow, that is one powerful demon-possessed guy. <laughs> now, I'm not sure you know, how impressive it is to be, you know, beat up a bunch of priests. Um, if it was like the front line of the Bruins, you know, may maybe, that'd be, uh, maybe that'd be something. In any case, these guys are what? These guys are bandwagon jumpers. They fail not because they're not using the right code words, I mean, they said in Jesus' name, the, 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 and if there's any, any, like, you know, if there's any need to clarify, the Jesus that Paul is talking about, no, they fail because they are not using the authority of the Holy Spirit. They fail because they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They fail because they are not on the same mission as Paul. They may have come through a really great religious or priestly family, but they are not doing the same thing that Paul is trying to do. And there is an immediate fallout here. I mean, these guys are exposed as frauds, as fakes. And Paul's message and Paul himself, they emerge as genuine and true and noble. Paul is the true apostle. Verse 17, Paul speaking in, in, in Ephesus. When this became known to Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came out to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, I had mentioned there was an immediate fallout. And people really started to take notice what Paul was doing. People were like lining up. And again, there had to be a number of people for Paul to be at this lecture hall for two years daily, preaching and spreading the word and doing these incredible things of God. There's this weird part in there about sorcery. And anytime we talk about sorcery, especially as modern Western people, we kind of dismiss that, right? Like, oh, sorcery, how, how could these people have fallen for that? And, and they brought their scrolls in, and they, they burn them, and it's 50,000 drachmas. And I know anytime we talk about any, like, any, uh, any foreign um, you know, measurement of, of money, we're like, what, how much does that actually you know, equal out? Well, a drachma was worth one day's wages, and it was one silver coin. And so if we were like to, to apply that value to today, one drachma today would be worth about $70. And that is assuming that the average income is $25,000. So one drachma, $70, 50,000 of them comes out to about $3.5 million worth of scrolls and magic parchment papers. Now, we live kind of like in the middle class suburbs, so we should probably double that. Figure $7 million of scrolls being burned. I mean, that's, 
That's saying something. One of the things that they were doing in, in the city of Ephesus, is they, would, they would literally have a, a, a pendant with like a little tube and the scroll kind of like tucked, tucked in, the, in, the, in this little, I don't know, vial type of thing, and they would walk around with that. And one of the things that it meant was, even though they wouldn't like pull out the little scroll and like, you know, read a magic uh, spell or anything like that, one of the things that it symbolized was protection. And so when they take these things off, when they go to their houses and bring out their like, you know, these quote unquote holy scrolls, they, they, are, they are in a sense giving their trust, moving their trust from this stuff to something else. And it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I fasten my seatbelt every day. Well, every time I drive, I don't know about every day. Every time I drive, I lock my doors all the time. And there's a bit of that, too, when it comes to what, how, how they are expressing their sense of, or their need of safety and security in, in these types of scrolls and in this type of magic and in this type of superstition. Now, it's not the same thing as taking off our seatbelts and, like, burning them, right? We probably wouldn't get $7 million worth of that, right? But there is something else that, that we do when, when we... If we rely too much on our seatbelt and not enough on trusting that the Lord will spare us or that the Lord will protect us or if he doesn't, that we will be with the Lord. Now we're talking about trust. Now we're talking about pledging our allegiance to something greater than what we can control. Now we're talking about the transfer of of what it means to truly believe in something. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. People will, will, will burn or give away just about anything when they discover something that gives their life greater meaning, greater purpose, and greater identity. And for them, it was their way of life, this, this cultural norm of, of sorcery and magic. And for us, we can find no greater meaning then than being filled with the Holy Spirit and being alive in Christ. And this, was why one of the, this is why the great things were happening in the early church. Countless of people were putting their trust in Christ, and it literally says everyone in Asia had heard this message of Jesus. They're finding hope. They're discovering beauty and virtue, uh, and, and the virtue of what it means to be in Christian community. They're discovering the joy of what it means to serve each other and serve, out, serve those outside of each other. And this, this message keeps spreading and building and keeps getting deeper and stronger, and it is shaping stuff. I think if you could go back to this point, at this point in time in the Apostle Paul's life, he would probably tell you, I'm finding my sense of calling right here in Ephesus. And he had to work for it, right? I mean, if you go back to his conversion and, and, and kind of like, you know, go, go through the timeline, by this point, he's already been beaten a few times, stoned a few times. Um, he hasn't been shipwrecked yet, but he will. Um, he, he, he has been chased out, he has been ridiculed, he has been disrespected, he has had sharp divisions with people he's trusted, Um, he's been hurt many times. It's in these three years of Ephesus where it's probably the best times of his life. It's in these three years of Ephesus that he makes like these great ministry friends. That's why he doesn't want to leave. I don't know if he ever pulled out a business card that said apostle on it. I'm Paul the apostle. But I do think just sheer speculation. This is the time in his life when things were just get, became really clear for him. This is why God called me. Here I am. I am fulfilling the role, this, this role of apostle that God has placed on my life. 
And he has these great friends. Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy. This is all part of these three years of Ephesians uh, in, in the time of Ephesus. And it is an incredible time for him. And it's an incredible time for the early church. This is the time of Ephesus. And I hate, I hate that Luke condenses it in just these, these short verses, but it's how it goes. So many incredible things are happening, and these friends are shaping the culture there in Ephesus that they are about to get into some serious, serious trouble. And we're going to talk about that next week. There is going to be a gigantic riot because they just took millions of dollars out of the economy, and that money isn't coming back. And people are angry, understandably. They have messed up this system that people have been relying on, and things are going to get really interesting. And that's kind of what happens when the Holy Spirit gets involved. Our, our, our big idea is great things happen when we allow the Holy Spirit, again, the presence and power of God to work in and through us. I love how N.T. Wright says this when, 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 we're, when, we, when we talk about culture making. He says, our tasks as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness. That's our job. That's our task as people who call themselves Christians. And this is what most of us want. Most of us want to be a part of something that truly is changing the world. Most of us want to be a part of a church that is truly making a difference in people's lives. We want, in our own lives, to be growing and becoming more like Christ to be people of, of true love and not to give in to the things that have tripped us up for, for so long. And perhaps one of the reasons why we, get, we keep getting tripped up into things is because we're relying more and more on our own talents and more and more on our own abilities and not as much on the Holy Spirit. The trouble becomes in, in the church today when we leave the Holy Spirit out and we don't see ourselves as true disciples who need to sacrifice, who need to do the hard work of prayer, who need to do the hard work of studying scripture and applying it, who need to do the work of service and living on mission. Because that costs a lot. That hurts. That takes pain and sacrifice. It's easier to be a bandwagon jumper, right? Well, we want to do something great, and we all want the world to get better but if we leave the Holy Spirit out of the church, we, we end up with, with something like, like this. We have these, this deep thoughts video, and it is pretty deep. Churches come in many shapes and sizes, and no matter what type of building it is, a church is a lot more than a place to sing songs and hear sermons. Church is a place where people can come together and judge those who don't show up. It's a place where gum is chewed, text messages are typed, and naps are taken. Mm. A church is a place for people to gather and stare at the back of the head of the person in front of them. It's a place for people to hum the words of the second verse of the song because it's kind of new to them, and the guy in the back that usually controls the PowerPoint is out sick, and the guy that's back there now hasn't changed slides yet. It's all this and a lot more. Church, there's a lot going on. These have been Deep Thoughts from a shallow Christian. It's a bad time to say amen, but man, that is uncomfortably true, huh? 
A.W. Tozier has this line. He says, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them completely, they wouldn't find out for months. Man, that hurts. Now, that's the type of superficial, shallow church that the bandwagon jumpers have created. And if we're not careful, if we are not spirit-led believers living on mission, we might take the way of that same cheap, expression of Christianity that has ruined church for so many people. Instead, something even deeper, something more beautiful, something life-giving, something that God has intended is available to us if, if we allow ourselves to do the work of the Spirit or, or to, to rely on the work of the Spirit. So the idea of superficial Christianity or shallow faith or, or cheap faith or organized religion or whatever it is that you want to call it, I mean, this is the stuff that angers us, Right? I mean, this is the stuff that has hurt us, that has hurt others. This is why it's kind of hard to, to move sometimes deeper into church. This is why people don't want to come back to church or don't ever want to enter into a church. I remember a time in my life when, when I, I, I sensed all the superficial stuff around me. I remember seeing like all those WWJD bracelets. You remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? And it's a wonderful thing to ask. What would Jesus do? And, and I, just, I was just so annoyed with the bracelets no judgment if you had one, especially if it drew you closer in your walk with God. Praise the Lord. I personally hated them. And I really enjoyed hating them. And I, 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 I kind of reduced everything that was wrong with Christianity to, to this expression of it. And I stood really kind of like, you know, with my cynicism and my, skepti and my skeptical nature, I stood like, you know, far back from it. And I said, that's what's wrong with the church. Now, whether or not the bracelets were a good idea or a bad idea, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's any, any merit in, in, in going down that road any further. But you know, the further and further that I, I stood back from, from this moment and just judged it, there wasn't much spirit-led initiative moving on in my life either. I mean, I was part of the problem too. I mean, it's great to be cynical because you can just kind of like just step back and hate on anything and make, make fun of everything. And it's a really easy job, especially if you're sarcastic uh, and if you're quick-witted, man, being, being like the cynical guy sitting in the back of the room, even if you're a pastor, it's fun. Makes church a little bit more interesting sometimes, right? And I started realizing that eventually, I started realizing I'm the pro I am part of the problem of the church. And the culture that I'm, I'm, I'm making here is just more cynicism. It's just more skepticism. And great, we're not wearing bracelets. But we're not really moving people closer to Christ either. And as I started journeying through that, I had to confront my doubts. I had to confront my pain. I had to confront my frustration and anger and hurt with the church. And that was hard. And you can get through if you rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. You really can. And this is something that we kind of do daily, right? We do this all the time. This is the idea of picking up our cross and carrying it as, as Jesus instructed us. And this is probably something that you might want to consider, especially if, if you find church to be a very difficult thing for you. Our cynicism, our skepticism is not going to make the world or the church any better or any stronger. And if you really believe, as I did, that you won't be able to conquer this, then we are, over, that we are underestimating the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when we don't rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we fall into this very cheap, superficial, shallow version of Christianity. And it might not even take too, too long of a time before some demon-possessed guy or some type of experience comes along and kicks our butts. Similar 
to the way of, of the sons of Sceva. And sometimes we get our butts kicked for doing the right thing. So, and that's just part of living in a very painful, evil, tragic world. But I think sometimes we bring it on a little bit too much onto ourselves, again, because we're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So instead, let us be culture makers like the Apostle Paul, like his friends, like the people of the early church who were truly sensitive and awake to the way of the Holy Spirit. These spirit-led Christians who are living out Jesus' prayer on earth as it is in heaven, this changes stuff. This changes culture. This changes the world. This changes us. Andy Crouch, who we're reading his new book, Playing God, in his previous book, Culture Making, has this great line. He says, the bigger the change that we hope for, the longer we must be willing to invest, work to, and wait for. Culture making is what happens in our kids' town. Culture making is what happens in our youth ministries. It's what happens in this room. It goes far beyond being friendly and into things like creating actual friendship and experiencing true community. It's what goes beyond music and songs and prayer and sermons and actual worship. It, uh, the, the, uh, the, being spirit-filled makes it actual worship. It's when we take the things of God that he has so graciously given us and giving them freely to other people around us. Great things happen if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us as we see him working throughout the book of Acts. And this is the same Holy Spirit available to us today. We truly want the world to be better. We truly want the church to be better. We, as Christians, we want to be better. So may you receive the Holy Spirit. And tonight I ask you, if you haven't done that, if, if, you, if you're not sure about this, if you believe in Jesus but you're not really sure if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, tonight I ask you to consider surrendering your life to Christ in that way. Maybe you are a, a, a spirit-filled Christian and you know exactly what I mean by that. But lately, you've been kind of struggling with, with this reality. Maybe you've been relying too much on your own talent and your own strength and your own resources and not enough on, on the grace of God. Tonight I ask you to consider to surrender your heart and your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've been doing this all along. Maybe every day has been a grind for you. Maybe you truly have been relying on the Holy Spirit. And to you, I say, keep enduring. You are not a bandwagon jumper, praise God. May God continue to give you grace. May God continue to give you strength. May we encourage one another, and may we labor together for the sake of the kingdom. So as we leave this place, let us not be these bandwagon jumpers capable of creating this cheap grace of organized religion, but let us be this true, spirit-filled community that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we are grateful for so many things. And we are grateful, Lord, for the gift of your scriptures. We are grateful, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit the power and the presence of God available to us now and here. And Father, we lift up to you those who, who could use this gift of the Spirit. And if that, is, if that is you tonight, pray this prayer after me. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. Lord, I confess my sins to you. And I ask that you would fill my life with your Spirit. I commit my life to you. And I ask you for these things in your name. Amen.
And if that is your prayer tonight, please see me or, 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 or Pastor Dave or any one of us after the service. But let us not leave this space until we are fully, fully and deeply renewed in what it means to be spirit-led Christians. Amen.